Hey, good morning. Welcome to Victory Church. Let me hear you. Come on, tell me good morning. Good morning. How are you? So great to have you here. My name is Troy. I get the privilege to be the lead pastor at Victory Church. I also want to say good morning and welcome to all of our online family. Uh, before we get into the word this morning, I just want to hit on a couple of announcements. I'll reiterate a couple of things that were said in the video as well as some things that weren't. Uh, right off the bat, if you are visiting with us today in person or online and you'd like to get connected, um, there's a couple of different ways you can do that. One is through our text to connect that we mentioned in the video. You can actually text VICTORY18 to the number 31996 and it'll send you a digital connection card. You can fill that out. And then there'll be some check boxes if you have any questions or you need anything specific, you can mark that. And it just gives us an opportunity to be able to connect with you. Also, if you're here in person, you might have been handed one of these connection cards. And so you can also do that. You can fill that out. And then if you're here in person, what you're able to do is you can take this card or you can take the proof on your phone and you can take it to our welcome center right in the lobby and what they'll do or right, right there in the hallway. And what they do is that they have a nice little gift for you. It's a victory mug and a few things that they'd like to be able to put in your hands. And what this does is it allows us to uh, reach out to you throughout this week and just connect with you and see if you have any questions and see if we can do anything kind of furthering you as you get connected at Victory Church. Also, if you are looking for a way to give, maybe you're visiting here again in person or online, uh, we have three ways that you can give. We mentioned that you can do it on the website through tmvictory.com or through our app, as well as texting to give. And then, of course, if you're here in person, there'll be a way as you're walking out to, to give check or cash or anything like that uh, through buckets through one of our auditorium hosts. And so there's just ways for you to give if you're wanting to get involved. We always try to take a moment and share a little bit about what God's able to do through this church and through your finances. And a couple of things that I've been talking about for the past few weeks, we actually delivered last Sunday after church, which was our T-shirts to the teachers here at Rock Springs Middle School. And so right before the school starts back, we always try to do something for our teachers, just to let them know we love them, we support them. And so because of your faithfulness and your finances, we were able to make the shirt that says Difference Maker for them. We figured out their sizes from the principal, and we gave every, t -shirt, or every teacher one of those t-shirts. And so just an encouraging thing for them is they're getting ready to gear up and go back uh, to teaching as normal with all that's been going on that's crazy. Just a reminder for them that they are making a difference. And so I thank you for your faithfulness. Last but not least, starting next Sunday, we've got some big things. So as many of you know, August 8th, next Sunday, we start our series at the movies. Come on, let me hear you real quick. Get excited. And so it's going to be a fantastic time. We'll have popcorn and Cokes, and, and what we'll do is, is we'll have the big screen back up on the stage, and I'll kind of preach through movie clips, and we've got, the, the, the theme is the sequel, and so what I'm doing is I'm preaching off of every, every movie's a sequel, and so we're really excited about that. Um, and I want to tell you now, I want you to be thinking about who it is that you're going to invite and bring with you at the end of service today. We're going to pray for those names. But as you're walking out, they'll try to put something like this in your hand so that you can use it to invite people. Now, now let me just say this real quick. This is not so much for you to invite the person you're thinking to invite. That person, you need to invite them by, you know, actually talking to them. But these are things that you can leave with your waiter, you can leave at your job or whatever and just let people see about it and, and learn about it. Um, also, on that same day, August 8th, just in case you need to know this, if you're interested in going to the missions trip to Costa Rica, right after uh, the, the service, we will meet with our outreach directors in the library area, and they'll take us through uh, any information that you might need uh, for your interest in that trip. So if you are interested, going to that meeting does not mean you're committed to go. It doesn't mean you have to sign up or pay money. It's just an opportunity for you to go and hear more information about what we're doing and then make the decision 
on whether or not you want to go. So again, that's going to happen August 8th after church. Amen? Amen. All right, you ready for the word? Ready for the word? Here we go. All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Acts chapter 9. We'll start reading at verse 10. So Acts chapter 9. If you're just checking in with us, if you're just visiting today, or you've, you've been out for a while and you're back, we are studying through the book of Acts. And so what we try to do is we try to go chapter by chapter, um, but sometimes I get into a chapter. I was actually talking to a pastor friend of mine uh, at the gym Saturday, and he said to me, he said, are you still in the book of Acts? And I said, I am. And he said, are you, what are you on, chapter 2? And I said, no, Samarilic, I'm on chapter 9. Uh, and I said, but there's just so much in it. You know, every chapter is so rich with, with great, great scripture and, and wisdom. And so, you know, it just takes us some time to kind of get through. So we're in chapter nine. We're in the middle of it today. We may finish chapter nine today. We may not. We may go to 10 uh, after at the movies. We may be back in nine. But we are in nine today. So if you've got your Bibles, whether it's on your phone or you've got a paper Bible, turn to Acts chapter nine. And I'm going to start reading at verse 10. I'm going to read about nine verses and then we'll jump into the message and break it down. So uh, here we go, Acts chapter 9, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. Now last week, we introduced Saul. Saul will become the apostle Paul, who will write one-third of the New Testament. And we introduced him, and he converted to Christ in the first part of Acts chapter 9. And so that's going to be important for what we're about to read. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. So the Lord called out to Ananias. He said, Ananias. Yes, Lord, uh, Ananias answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. Now, this is not the same Judas that betrayed Jesus. It's a different Judas. On Straight Street, which is a very interesting street to live on, by the way. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, it was important for him to say where he was from because there was a lot of people who shared name. Obviously, Ananias is not the same Ananias and Sapphira. Everybody had a lot of similar names. So he said, it's not just any Saul. It's the Saul from Tarsus. He said, for Saul from Tarsus is praying. And right now he's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard many reports about this man, Saul, and all of the harm that he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's now come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name, all Christ followers. We said they were a part of something called the way at that time. So he has the authority to arrest every Jesus follower. But then the Lord said to Ananias, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. This is not my sermon, but I just want to encourage you that when you start to follow Jesus, there will be suffering. Then Ananias went to the house, and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, he was baptized, and after eating some food, he regained his strength. I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning from the idea, you better call Saul. I don't know how many of y'all are Breaking Bad fans. I've actually never seen the show. I hear a lot about it. But from what I understand, Better Call Saul is kind of a prequel. Is it a prequel? It's a prequel to that show. Um, but I'm putting a twist on it today. Instead of just better call Saul, it's you 
better call Saul, and I'll explain that towards the end of the message. But I, I have told you before, if, if you were here around this time, I've shared with you before, that recently, me and a friend of mine, Tommy, got the opportunity to co-coach our kids in soccer. So his son, Tom, uh, his son Wyatt and, and my daughter, Casey Ray, got in a YMCA soccer team, and we decided to co-coach together their team. Now, the problem with that was we don't know anything about soccer. Uh, he knows a little bit. I know even less. Uh, to give you evidence of this, the first game that we had, I was surprised to learn that they had goalies. I didn't know they were going to have goalies um, because at a certain age, you don't. And so right off the bat, we lost that game because we had not practiced with goalies. So it was an interesting season, to say the least. We, we lost every game but the last game. <laughs> uh, I remember I was so excited. There was like tears in my eyes. And the kids are screaming and we're shouting and we're yelling. And the, uh, the opposing coach came over to me very nicely. And she was like, you know, you don't have to get too crazy, coach. And I was like, well, keep in mind, this is the first game we won all season. And she was like, oh, okay, then celebrate all you want. So it was a big deal for me that we won a game. But we're, uh, we're walking to the YMCA the other day, where this a few weeks ago, with Casey Ray. And there's this massive banner on the outside of the gym that has this little boy's picture, and it's all about fall registration for soccer, or registration for fall soccer. And she stops to look at it. She starts talking about it. And, and to my surprise, we had been talking, Tommy and I, about putting them in more of a competitive league because they're really good, um, you know, with a little bit more serious competition. And we had talked to Casey and Wyatt about it. So her looking at it and asking questions about it surprised me. And I said, wait, are you going to play soccer for the Y again? And she stepped back. She went, oh, no, no, no. She said, I forgot. Wyatt and I are going to play for a real team that has real coaches. <laughs> I'm glad you thought that was funny. Um, I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, real coaches, dad, who know how to play soccer. And I was just like, you know, that's just wrong, right? Just everything. I mean, I've never felt so physically slapped in the face than I did right there. But it was so funny because as I was writing the message for today, for some reason, the Holy Spirit brought that story back up into my mind because it happened weeks ago. And all of a sudden, I realized why he was bringing it to my attention because I don't know about you, but sometimes I think that maybe God might feel that way about me and my calling. Sometimes I get in these modes where, where I start to think that maybe God if I'm not performing like I think I should be performing, that maybe God has the same thoughts about me as Casey Ray did about me being her coach. Let me ask you like this. Have you ever thought that maybe God could have done better with someone else? You know what I mean? Have you ever had that thought about, I don't know, maybe when it comes to raising your kids and you're thinking like, I don't, I don't know that I think God could have picked somebody better to raise my kids or maybe it has to do with your marriage or maybe it has to do with the ministry and the calling that God has on your life and you step back for a moment and you know, you're not performing by the way you think you should be performing. You're not looking like the culture of the world thinks you should look and you start to question like, man, I don't know. I just kind of feel like that maybe, maybe God could have done better with someone else. Last week, as we were reading the first part of Acts chapter 9, 1 through verse 9, the last verse we read said that once Saul realized that he was talking to Jesus, the Messiah, it said that he did not eat or drink for three days. Now, I've read that many, many times, but in, in my younger years, I always thought that that was some type of spiritual fast because often fast are three days long and so on. So I just kind of skipped over it. 
And I was studying a little bit deeper last week for that message. And, and the study that I was doing, the commentaries that I was reading, brought it from the direction that Saul was so ashamed and he was so full of condemnation of what he had been doing and the fact that he thought he was praising God and in reality he was persecuting God and he was so overwhelmed by those mistakes that he did not eat or drink. It was that similarity of when someone gets so depressed in something that they just starve themselves. He said that's what Paul was doing or Saul. He, he was so upset that he wouldn't eat or drink. Saul was so overwhelmed, think about this, by the revelation that he was not what he thought he was. He thought he was this great man of God, and then he found out he was actually persecuting Jesus the entire time. And so from this revelation of, of realizing, of coming to a conclusion that he was not what he thought, he kind of dove into this depression. You ever had that moment where something happened and all of a sudden you either realized or at least you felt like you were not what you thought? You know, again, I don't know what it has to do, whether it has to do with your, you know, I, I think about people who, that person who comes to church and gets fired up by the word and by worship and they, they walk out of here and they're like, man, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to totally surrender to God this week. And then that week goes worse than the week before. And there's just this kind of depression of I'm just not what I thought, right? You're just, you just mad at yourself. And what I want us to do is I want us to look at Acts 9 today with the thought that maybe, just maybe, you not being what you thought you were is a positive thing, not a negative thing. Because that's normally a negative thought. I'm not what I thought. That's normally a negative thing. But I want to challenge you as we study these verses together that maybe it's a positive thing that you are not what you thought you were. Say this with me. Say, I am not defined by what I do. You are not defined by what you do. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9 for a moment. And Jesus calls out to Ananias and he says to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and asked for a man, Tarsus, named Saul. And I love Ananias' uh, response there. He says, Lord, and I know when you're reading text, you can't always put context with what he said, but the way I saw that, I saw such shock and concern and uh, uh, unbelief that when Jesus says, hey, I want you to go to and look for this man in Damascus, he's from Tarsus, and his name is Saul. Ananias knew exactly who God was talking about, and he went, Lord, Lord. And then he goes on to say, do you know who you're talking about? This is Saul from Tarsus. This Saul is the same guy who has been abusing and arresting and putting your followers in jail. And now, to make things worse, he has been sent to Damascus with the papers, with the authority to come into our meeting rooms and arrest every one of us that follow you, Jesus. Do you know why would you send me to him? Lord, remember when, when you, your kids were young and you would ask them to do something they want to do and they'd go, Mom, remember that? Or, or Dad. That's what's happening with Ananias. Lord, don't, don't, don't make me go talk to him. If I go talk to him, he might beat me up. 
He might even kill me. As soon as Jesus said Saul's name, Ananias began to try to define him by what he had done. Soon as Jesus said his name, Ananias immediately went into, Lord, he did this and that and this and he did this. He tried to define him by what he had done and by what he was doing. He began to try to identify him by his issues. Now watch this. This is the same thing that you and I tend to do today. We try to define other people by what they've done. Am I right? We see something that somebody did or something that they're doing, and, and we try to define them, whether we even know we're doing it. We just kind of automatically do it. We define them. And we try to define ourselves. We allow what we've done or what we're doing or what we did to define who we are because there's something inside of us that can't help but believe that we are what we do. We struggle with that belief. I was reading a book recently called Scary Close. It's a book on relationships. The author, Donald Miller, uh, struggled with relationships, both intimately and friend, you know, friendships. And so he was doing all he could to find you know, counseling and therapy. And there's this chapter in the book where he talks about going to this adult therapy camp called Onsite. And it's funny enough, it's right outside of Nashville. And so he goes to this adult therapy camp, and, and he's got multiple stories throughout the book of, of different scenarios. But the one that I want to bring up today is he's talking about all the restrictions at the camp. Because when he arrives at the camp, it's, you know, it's, it's a therapy aspect. It's a counseling type deal. So they have certain rules and regulations and all this kind of stuff. And he, he's talking through them. And he says this. He says, the absolute hardest rule that they had at this camp, the hardest thing for me, the hardest restriction they had was they said you were not allowed to tell somebody what it was you did for a living. Think about that. He said, he said I went to the camp. He said, you, no matter who you talked to, you, that was the one thing you weren't allowed to do. You could tell them anything. You could tell them married, kids. You could tell them hobbies, but you could not tell them. If they asked you what you did for a living, you, the rule was you, couldn't, you had to say, you know, you can't know that. You could not talk about it. And he said it was the hardest thing. He said, I kept finding myself trying to start uh, conversations, and I didn't know how to start them. He was like, I didn't, I didn't know how to break the ice with somebody. He said, I kept finding myself trying to explain who I was to people. And he said, and I couldn't do it because everything in me wanted to go back to what I, was, what I did for a living. Everything in me wanted to go back to the fact that I was an author and I was this and that. And he said, I learned how much of my value and how much of my identity I put on what I do. He said, I never realized how much we define who we are by what we do. Now, the interesting thing about Acts 9 is this. While Ananias is trying to define who Saul is by what he did, Jesus is trying to help Ananias see that what Saul does doesn't define who he is. Did you catch that? While Ananias is trying to show Jesus, this is what Saul did, therefore this is who he is, Jesus is trying to get Ananias to see just because Saul did that doesn't mean that's who he is. This was what Jesus wanted Ananias to see. Yeah, he may have done it, but it doesn't define who he is. Yes, he may be even doing it, 
but it's not who he is. As you know, at the movie starts next Sunday, and Erica put together this incredible promo package. We have, we've sent out mailers, 10, I think it was like 10,000 mailers. Uh, we, we expect a lot of our people to come back, you know, school's back, and so we expect to just have a great time in here for the series. And she put together all these promo packages. Well, one of the things she did is she put together the, the promotion of At The Movies on Facebook, on social media. And I don't know how familiar y'all are with how this works, but you can put money. You know, we, we filmed a commercial at Jeff and Bree's house, me and Darla did, promoting the series. And then uh, Erica takes the video and she puts in all of this information. She picks, you know, certain people where they live and, you know, what, what, what they like. You can do all that kind of stuff. In case you don't know, people are doing it to you all the time. It's why when you're going through your Facebook status and that video pops up and you're like, I don't even know what that is. Somebody paid for that to come across. So it's going, it's going across all these people's feeds. The last time I looked at it, five, it had gone past 5,000 people's feeds. Now, obviously... When you do something like that, you are putting your video in front of all kinds of people, okay? You're putting it in front of Christians, you're putting it in front of atheists, you're putting it in front of people who know how to love other people, people who don't know how to love other people. You're putting it in front of every kind of person. And anybody can comment on the video. Like, anybody could just, you know, say whatever they want. That's how Facebook works. That's why it's a problem. But um, <laughs> recently, th this guy commented on it, and, and I saw it. And so I went and I read it, and, and I don't really remember it word for word, but I'm going to give you the, 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 the point of it. He said, um, here we go with the seeker-sensitive churches. That was kind of his first statement. Interesting enough, he doesn't go to church. I found that out. Uh, but here we go again with the seeker-sensitive churches. He said, why don't we just remove Jesus altogether and just watch movies? And I was like, okay. Um, and then he put this, he put this GIF or GIF, whatever you want to call it. Me and Andrew are arguing about it. He put this GIF of a kangaroo with boxing gloves. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's a cool thing for teenagers. Um, but but I, I read that, and I, like my, my blood started to boil. Like the Memphis in me started to come out. You know what I mean? I was like, I might have to find out where he lives. And I, I, I was just angry. And, and, and listen, I wasn't angry because he was coming at me. I mean, you, you, do, you do something like this for a living, you're going to get people talking about you on social media all the time. Like, that, that wasn't my concern. What, what I realized what made me the maddest is he had defined our church by one thing that we were doing. He said we were seeker sensitive, which, side sermon for a second, is the stupidest thing somebody can ever say, okay? We are supposed to be going after the seeker. The seeker is supposed to come in. Church is not for the saved, it's for the lost. Amen? We get saved and we serve so lost people will come in and be saved. So to ever call a church seeker sensitive is just ignorant. Now I get it. We're not in here. Never mind, I won't go down that road. That's a waste of time. Okay, anyway. Um, so, so, so what I realized though is he had defined our church by one thing that we were doing. He had no idea. He had no idea that we as a church just finished studying through the entire book of John together, that we went chapter by chapter through the entire book of John. He has no idea that you guys downloaded study guides from our website and really broke down the scripture. He has no idea that we are currently studying through the book of Acts. He has no idea that it's taken us since Easter 
to get to chapter 9 because we have been so focused on the word and breaking it down. And so he has no idea that we've given over $100,000 to our community and global outreach partners. He has no idea that we have seen people saved and baptized. He has no idea that we had 15 people go through a discipleship class to learn how to make a disciple. He has no idea of any of that. He has, he has no idea of the kids who are giving their heart to Jesus and V kids. He has no idea of those things that we are doing. He picked one thing that we're doing, which is 100% evangelistic focus. He picked one thing and he defined who we were off of what we did. We have to stop defining people and we have to stop defining ourselves by what we do. We have to stop it. This is the very stigma that Jesus is trying to overcome with Ananias. Think about this. Saul was destroyed over what he did. He didn't eat or drink for three days, and I love food. The hardest thing for me to do is fast because I have a love affair with food. So for him to not eat and to not drink for three days because he was so disgusted with what he did. And Jesus says, watch this, it wasn't right. No, it wasn't right. And you need to stop it. But it's not who you are. What you did or are doing is not right. And yes, you need to stop it. But it is not who you are. I realized something. When Casey Ray said to me, I want, we want to be on a real team with real coaches, her little six-year-old face, little smart aleck thing, real coaches. You know, um, what she was saying is that I don't coach soccer well, and she's 100% right. And here's the crazy thing. I'm not mad about that. I am completely uh, self-secure with the fact that I should never coach soccer again. Like, I'm cool with it. Like, if you came up to me after church and said, you are a terrible soccer coach, I'd be like, you're right. It is, I mean, it's true. I tell you every week, I wish I could sing. I can't. It just is what it is. She was saying, what you did was not good. What I heard was you're a bad father. She said, you're a bad soccer coach. I heard her say, you're a bad father. And so I started going in this whole, maybe I should have, maybe somebody else should have coached her soccer team. Maybe somebody else should. Do you know that I have, a, I have a personal bucket list? And on that bucket list is to personally coach a sports team with both of my children. You know, they're, they're separate teams. It was on my bucket list to coach her. It wasn't my bucket list to be a soccer coach. It was to coach her. And yet the enemy took something that I did and tried to make it who I was. Now all of a sudden I think I'm just, maybe she should have, maybe, maybe there could have been somebody else better. It's, I'm her father. Maybe there could have been somebody else better. What's interesting is, like that same day, you know, it came time for bedtime and she still likes to be carried to bed, which is fun because Veda's so big now I can't carry her. If I do, I break my back. And so <laughs> it's fun to pick her up and carry her to bed, you know, and she gave me a kiss and a hug goodnight. She said, I love you, Dad. That was about who I am. That wasn't about what I did. You see what I'm saying? Because if we're not careful, what the enemy does is he takes something that we did, something that we didn't do well, and he makes it who we are. 
And our father is trying to get us to understand, yes, you did it. It was wrong. You need to quit doing it. But it is not who you are. It's good for me to be disgusted with my sin, but I can't let it make me be disgusted with myself. See what I mean? I, I can be disgusted with sin. Man, I hate that I did that. I wish I wouldn't have made that mistake. I wish I wouldn't. But I can't allow that to become to a point where I am so wrapped up in condemnation, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation, that I'm so wrapped up in it that I'm disgusted with who I am. Let me, let me break it down a little bit more. Saul, Saul was already in this mode of defining who he was by what he did. So much that what he liked to do, and we all do this, is he defined who he was by all of the good things that he does, right? Because let's be honest, this is what we do. We like to tell people the good things that we did because we think what we do defines who we are. So if we go over to people and tell them all the good things we did, we think it will define who we are in a good way. So Saul went on to say, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I, I was circumcised on the third day. I'm faultless. I'm this great Pharisee. He was saying all these good things about him because he, in his heart, believed that what he did defined who he was. So this whole depression he went into was because he had defined himself by all of these things he was doing, and then he found out what he was doing was wrong. And he found out that he was not what he thought he was. Because watch this. If you define yourself by all of the good things that you do, then you have to define yourself by the bad things as well. Because if you define yourself by what you do, you have to define yourself by all that you do. And I don't know about you, I'll speak for me. I do more wrong than I do right. I do, no, I do more bad than I do good. I have more bad thoughts than I do good thoughts. I want to punch people way more than I want to hug them. You know what I mean? Like it's, like, just, so, so if I'm going to define myself by the good things that I do, I have to also define myself by the bad things I'm going to do. And if I do more bad than I do good, then if I define myself by what I do, guess what? I'm bad. I'm bad. So it's actually a good thing that you are not what you thought you were. Because if it was left up to you, you would let what you do define who you are, and you would see yourself as this terrible, worthless, God should have got somebody better type person. Meanwhile, the Holy Spirit and Jesus is saying, no, 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 I chose you, I love you, I want you. Let me give you some uh, therapeutic theology. Jesus died for you while you were yet a sinner. That means Jesus died for you when you were doing all the bad things, knowing you were going to keep doing bad things. He died for you knowing you might not even choose to follow him. And I felt like the Lord told me this, and I feel like I need to tell it to you. I know you think God saved you because he felt sorry for you, but the truth is he saved you because he delights in you. That's a theology twist you need to have. Because when you define yourself by what you did, you start to see yourself as a bad person and you think God sent Jesus to die for you because he took pity for you, because he felt sorry for you. But God sent Jesus to die for you because he delights in you. 
because he loves you. He's so in love with you. He sees who you really are. He sees who you'll be. He is so obsessed with you that he sent his only son to die for you. And the enemy wants us to think that he can't even look at us, that we're just this nasty, bad thing. And he just said, fine, die for him so I don't have to look at him anymore. And it's not the way it went. And Jesus tells Ananias, when he's talking about Saul, He's God's chosen instrument. You are God's chosen instrument. Let, let me explain. I'll show you first. Acts 9, chapter 15. Just don't you think I'm making this up. It says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. For this man, Saul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. What Jesus said to Ananias about Saul then is exactly what Jesus is saying about you and me today. So, so I want to look you in the eye first. I'm going to do this twice because I got to get everybody. Pay attention. Wake up. I know, I know you, it's, you're still in the summer. You're a little tired. Everybody knows school and real life starts in a couple weeks. Look at me. You are God's chosen instrument. I'm going to look at the youth for a second. You are God's chosen instrument. Instrument. I'm going to come back to that. Here we go. Over here. Nick, sit down so I can say this to you. All right. <laughs> trying to balance his family. I love him. Here we go. Look at, look at me. You are God's chosen instrument. It's fact. And it's not about what you're doing. And it's not about what you did. Oh, I got to look at my, 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 my production team. Look at me real quick. You are God's chosen instrument. But can I tell you what we do? We get so focused on the perfection of the instrument that we struggle with the fact that God would want to use us. So we put the value of the instrument, right? Like, I don't know, God could use somebody else and be better. I mean, look at this instrument. It's not, you know, ugh, I know what I did last night. I know what I'll probably do. You know, ugh, we, we get so focused on the instrument that we have a hard time believing that God would actually want to use us. I was talking to Andrew. Josh, you got me on camera for this. I, I lost you somewhere. I don't know where you went. But um, let's see. So, so I was talking to Andrew about, this, this, is, this is an instrument that we have. It's the drums, okay? And so it's, it's not, a, what do you call it? What is, what is this set called? No, no. What's, what's the? Electric. Electric. It's an electric set of drums, okay? It's pretty valuable. I was asking Andrew before church. I was like, well, you know, what, what was it? He said, it's, it's north of $500, Man, that's a lot of money. I don't, maybe we should go back to just the whole do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do thing, right? You know, now, now y'all better start worshiping more. You know how much it costs to let y'all hear music. And so I said, man, that's a valuable instrument. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to play it. Sorry for my, my church folk behind this TV, but you'll hear this in a minute. Don't worry. So I was like, okay. I never played drums before, y'all, just so you know. Is that pretty good? Look, look, don't, don't be Casey Ray, okay? Don't, don't give me pity. I used to beat in high school on the desk. Can't do it with my hand. Y'all like, how long, he's, how long is he gonna do this? Okay. So then I was thinking about this. Okay, Scout, come here for a second. All right. 
same instrument, right? Same instrument, same sticks, different person. All right, so let's, let's just see. You, you, I'll step back over here, and let, let's see how well you can do. You can see if you can do better than I did. hate you, just so we know. But, but here's what you got to catch. Where was the value in that? What, what you just experienced, stay there. Was the, was the value in the instrument or was the value in the person who was using the instrument? See what I'm talking about? That's a $500 drum set. It's trash when I get behind it. You know what I mean? It, we're wasting time. Why? Because the value has never been in the instrument. The value is in who's using the instrument. All of a sudden, you give the same drumsticks I had to Scout, and all of a sudden, you guys are cheering. He's flipping things on his fingers and throwing them up behind his back, and I'm still trying to figure out which one you hit next. And what you have to understand is that it's the same thing with our lives. The value of you is not in you. It's in who is in and through you. It's in Jesus. The value is Jesus. So when Ananias is trying to say, man, look, Saul is this and Saul is that, Jesus says, no, 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 listen to me, listen to me. Ananias is like, Lord, and Jesus is like, listen to me. You are trying to define Saul by what he does. You are trying your best to evaluate the instrument, but you forget that when I become, when I begin to work through him and Christ in him, that's what defines him. We have to stop asking ourselves, how could God ever use us? And start asking God, who is the Saul that he's sending us to? So think about this. Ananias is sent by God to help Saul see again. Saul is sent to the Gentiles to help them see again. Somebody was sent to you to help you see again, and you have been sent to somebody to help them see again. But if you get so focused on the value of the instrument, and you get so focused on trying to define who you are by what you did, then you will start to doubt that God can use you and you'll have more conversation with God about you than conversation with God about who he's wanting you to share the gospel with. I've told some of y'all this story. Uh, when we got ready to move here from Memphis to plant the church, we had to renovate our house. And my father-in-law came over and helped a lot, laying floors and painting and all this kind of stuff. And so when, when it finally got done, I went to my mother-in-law and I said, hey, I really want to bless my father-in-law. I want to say thank you. I said, is there any idea of something I could buy him a gift that would really, I don't want to just get him a gift card, something like, like something that really means something. My father-in-law loves to jam. He has a whole room with, you know, guitars and drum sets and all that. And she's like, he's been wanting a new guitar. I was like, great. <laughs> I know nothing about guitars, but we'll figure it out. 
So there's this place in Memphis called the Guitar Center. So I'm like, this has got to be the best place, right? So, so I pull up, and I walk in, and I go to this room they have, and there's guitars all over the wall. There's blue and green and red, and they're, you know, they're like skinny and fat and wood and all these different things. All You musicians are like, shut up. Like, you're ruining it. But, but you know, it's just all these weird-looking guitars. And I thought you could go in the guitar center and be like, I want a guitar. And they'd be like, here's the guitar. You know, I didn't know it was like all these different. And so I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, and this poor guy walks over to me who works there. And he's like, you know, how can I help you? And I said, I'm here to get a guitar. And he's like, okay. What do you want? And I was like, a guitar. I told you. Like, I don't know why, why you're still sitting here. Like, go get me a guitar. And uh, he said, well, there's all kinds of different guitars, different purposes. And so he said, it really depends on what you're using it for. At the time, I didn't know what he was going to use it for, so I had to get a gift card. <laughs> but I'll never forget that moment. The Holy Spirit clears day. Say, listen, imagine every one of us in a room. God has saved every one of us. He's chosen every one of us. And somebody walks in and starts to, well, we, we, need, we need somebody. God says, okay, well, what are you looking for? I just, I need somebody. He goes, well, it really depends on what you're using it for. God has set aside people for every one of us. For some of us, it's your coworker. For some of us, it's your granddaughter. For some of us, it's your mom. Some of you, it's your neighbor. Some of you, it's your boss. Some of you, it's that person that you see every week at Starbucks. It's the person right now. For some of you, it's the person that you do not want to talk to. And you're Ananias. Lord, you mean you love them too? Yes. But God has saved us. And now he's sending us so that somebody else can see again. Jesus completed his mission. It was to die on a cross for our sins so that we'd be forgiven, we could get to heaven. And then he gave us a mission to go and share the gospel, tell other people about Jesus. My favorite thing to celebrate in here is the fact that you're here today because somebody told you about Jesus. Somebody heard what the Lord said and said, let's go, let's do it. And now here we are with that same opportunity. And there's hesitation because we define ourselves by what we do, and so therefore we don't think we're qualified to tell people about Jesus. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. What you did's bad. You need to stop it. But it's not who you are. Who you are is my chosen instrument. And so I just kind of want to tell you this. For every one of us, there's a Saul. At once we were Saul. Then we became Ananias. And now that we're Ananias, every one of us have a Saul. And Jesus is telling us, there's a pressing right now of his spirit telling us, you need to tell your Saul about, you need to go so that they can see again, so they can be saved and they can be baptized and they can be healed. You better call Saul. So here's what I want to do. Would you stand with me for a moment?
fixing to close. I know you're already inviting people to at the movies. I know you're already thinking about people. I know you're already talking to your Facebook friends and your coworkers and all that, but I want to take just a moment and I want us all to focus on one person, one Saul. Some of you, you already know. You knew from the moment you walked in here. Some of you, you've been trying to share God, the gospel with this person for a while. Some of them, you've been praying for this person for a while. Some of you, the Holy Spirit's so good, he'll give it to you right now. But I just want you to think, so close your eyes for a moment, focus in, and I want you to think about who it is that the Holy Spirit is charging you with to help them see again. Somebody helped you see again. Who is the Lord asking you to help them see again? And then I'll I'll share this. There's no better instrument that you have than our series at the movies. And so I want to challenge you as you're thinking about that person right now. I want to challenge you between now and next Sunday to do all you can. Invite that person. Pray for that person. Talk to that person. Do all you can. You better call Saul. Hey, how you doing, Saul? It's been a while. I want to know if you go with me. It's a two-step process here. The first step is for you to understand that you are not what you do, that you are identified who you are is in Christ Jesus. Second is for you to walk out here so fired up to help other people see that, to feel charged to tell other people about Jesus. So here's what I thought I'd do. I thought we would pray together. I thought we'd call out to the Lord for every Saul. I got a Saul. I know exactly who it is. I know exactly who it is. My wife and I are, are praying, inviting, really hoping that this couple comes to church. Just believing. Do you know yours? Are you ready? Are you ready? You ready? Can we pray? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you right now. First of all, we are so privileged to be able to be in your presence thanks to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I thank you that we're not identified by what we do. I thank you that your grace is sufficient and we don't use your grace as a crutch by no means. Father, we understand repentance. We know that we want to stop what we're doing, but we have to believe that it's not who we are, that we are a son of God. We are a daughter of God. We're a chosen instrument. And so, Father, just as you sent Ananias to Saul and then you sent Saul to the Gentiles, just as you sent somebody to me and somebody to everybody who's in this room, there is someone in each of our lives right now that need to know about you. They need to know the gospel. They need to be loved. Father, I pray right now for a weight so heavy on our hearts for those people. Give us creative vision. Let us think about buying them coffee or taking them to lunch or doing whatever we can to soften the opportunity for them to be able to hear about you. Thank you, Father, for a church that does a series that gives us a vehicle and an opportunity to invite our friends who are iffy about church and iffy about religion to a place where they feel comfortable and then to hear the gospel without any hesitation. Thank you for the opportunity. 
I pray for every person in this room. Come on, if you agree with me, I pray right now as that you're, they're either thinking the name or they're saying the name. And Father, we agree. Your word says when two or more are gathered, your presence is there. Your spirit is there. So Father, we're, we're joining together right now. We're praying for people who do not know you, lost people, to come into this place, to hear the gospel, to give their heart to you, to be baptized, and then decide to, to, to repent and desi desire to be discipled. Don't let us leave here today and forget about it. Don't let us get so caught up this week being busy that we forget about it. Keep it burning on our hearts. I pray that before we go to bed, we pray for them. When we wake up in the morning, we pray for them. And we'll be able to rejoice, Lord, when they raise their hands and give their heart to you. If it wasn't for Ananias, where would Saul be? If it wasn't for Saul, where would the Gentiles be? If it wasn't for those in our life, where would we be? And who have you called us to share the gospel with? We thank you right now, Father. We surrender our lives to you. Use us in a supernatural way. And we'll give you all the glory and we'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.